Happy New Year! Hey, so fun, so fun to be together. And as the new year starts, there is a mustache on the cover of the Watermark News. It's rained fish in Texarkana. We're off to a weird start. You need to get right with God. The end is nigh. Y'all, in the new years, everybody makes new year's resolutions. At least not everybody, but many make a new year's resolution. So show of hands, just quick survey. Who made a new year's resolution? Don't be bashful. I'm not gonna call and ask what it was. It's about half. It's about half. So Inc. Magazine did uh, a study on New Year's resolutions. I'm about to like deconstruct all those hand raises. So they consulted Strava. Strava is an athletic and fitness app. So 835 million users. So Inc. goes to Strava and they're like, hey, tell us, how do the New Year's Eve trends? Because they get a whole lot of subscriptions and then there's a drop off, there's a progression. When is it? Strava has deemed January 19th Quitter's Day because two weeks in, there's like this boom, like sharp drop off. Y'all, we can't even make it two and a half weeks after a New Year's resolution. Why? Because willpower is not greater than sin's power. But good news today, God's power is over all. And so that two and a half week drop off, then by February, there's 80% of New Year's resolutions have failed. Two months in, only, well, only 6% actually fulfill their New Year's resolution come the end of the year. Thank you. I'm John Elmore. I'll be your motivational speaker for this morning. <laughs> You're like, why, why even bother? But I've got incredible news for you. Because I'm going to read to you from my journal from 16 years ago. 16 years ago, here's what I wrote. For the last three months, I've slept on a couch and lived out of two boxes in my car. I have to take sleeping pills or drink to sleep at all. And when I do fall asleep, half of the time, I have nightmares worse than horror movies. I drink to escape, I sleep to escape, I drive to escape, I joke to escape, I act to escape. Drinking is not the problem, it's a painkiller. Fix the pain, and you don't need or want painkillers. My pain is not knowing my purpose. Y'all, that was 16 years ago, I haven't had a drink since, and it's not that I had to wait 16 years for healing, Man, and, and like, if you're kind and it's encouraging, but every hand clap is for Jesus. Like, I tried on my own, nothing happened. I didn't have to wait 16 years for hope. Like, all these pages are just filled for the last years of what God has done in my life. He has brought healing, he has brought change, and that first page could not be further from the reality of my life. And why I share that, and why I deconstruct New Year's resolutions in part, like I'm not, if you want to get fit and healthy, good for you, great. But Jesus will bring about change in your life. He and he alone. Everything is from him. Everything is for him. He holds all things together. And so we look to him for our healing. And everyone in this room, whether you raised your hand or not, something is not as it should be. So if you made a New Year's resolution, there's just like a, a self-admission there like, you know what, I need to get straight with this. I need to lose weight. I need to exercise. I need to get out of debt. Whatever it might be, great, praise God. Others are like, man, it just is what it is. But I'm here to tell you today that Jesus heals. Today, as we begin this series, Loaded Questions, that's the question we are going to address. These are questions that Jesus asked live people 2,000 years ago that he's asking again today in our hearing. And so the question that we are going to ask in this loaded question is, do you want to be healed? For everyone listening today, whether you're in person or listening online, because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Kidding, it was 19 degrees, I get it. But come back, 
Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? A loaded question is something that has great personal impact and emotional weight. That's the definition of a loaded question. It's loaded because it's like, all right, there's more to what you're actually asking. Great emotional weight and personal impact. And today, do you want to be healed is Jesus's question for great personal impact. We're gonna be walking through John 5, 1 through 18, if you wanna follow along in your Bible or on whatever Bible app you have. And we're gonna be going just line by line. I don't have like three points I'm gonna take us through. We're gonna go through the passage because the passage is just replete with spiritual gold. So with that, John 5, verse one. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. I've been there in Jerusalem. There's still remnants of the columns that were there. A colonnade was just a, it was a porch, um, an overhang. There were five of them around this pool. Why? Um, we're gonna hear because there's a multitude of invalids that are gathered there. The word Bethesda is a Hebrew construct. Bet meaning house, and from the verb hasad, which means love, kindness, mercy. It's where we get the name uh, kesed, which is one of the attributes of God. Kesed is loving kindness. That would be the noun. And so you have here house of kindness, of mercy, uh, of God's loving kindness. And why? Because the people who were gathered there, that is what they needed and were longing for. Verse three, in these lay a multitude, these being the porches, lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. The Greek word is asthenia. It's sickness, what's often used for physical infirmity or sickness in the New Testament. And as we read about the physical sickness of one individual in particular, I want you to think about your spiritual asthenia, your spiritual weakness, feebleness, lack of strength, because that is what we have this side of eternity. It's 1 John 1, 8, where it says, for if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're all longing and lacking and in our feebleness, just desperate for Bethesda, a house of loving kindness and mercy where we can find healing. But we can't just like read the scriptures black and white on a page, like put yourself there because these are real stories anchored in history. This is not allegory. This isn't symbolic when it says there, uh, it, was, it was by the Sheep Gate and Bethesda, there was a pool, there's five colonnades, like, well, that's because they, they built porches for the shade of the sick that were there. And the Sheep Gate is where they would, they would parade in the livestock that were going into the temple so that people wouldn't have to bother with that smell and all the droppings. Like, this was not an esteemed place. And furthermore, this is where the invalids would gather, those who were blind, lame, and paralyzed. And so as you think about that, you think about the groanings, the crying, the anguish. It was probably not a very happy place. If there weren't restrooms, the sweat, the bugs, the animals going by knowing that you could never go to temple because here you are. And, and not only that, there was something much more pervasive than everything I've just articulated about Bethesda. Shame. There was a dark blanket of shame over all of those people wrongly. In John chapter nine, verse two, the disciples are walking with Jesus 
and they come across the man born blind. And they say to Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned first, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And Jesus is like, no, no. That is for the glory of God. They were purporting this false, heretical version of a prosperity gospel that the Pharisees were injecting into society that if you're wealthy, it means God loves you. And if you're sick or afflicted or lame or paralyzed or blind, it means you or your parents have sinned so greatly against God that you're physically afflicted, which is so wrong in sin. The New Testament, it says in Acts, it is through many trials and tribulations that we must, not might, must enter the kingdom of heaven. The New Testament has a promise that we will, uh, the sufferings of Christ will overflow to us, trial, tribulation, affliction, and suffering. But the Pharisees were like, nah, these, these blind, lame, and invalid, they're like that because they have sinned so greatly. It's not the case. Now sin can result in sickness, but this is different in kind. And here people were just sick in this house of mercy and grace, and you're gonna see Jesus do incredible things. Also, multitude of invalids, spiritual parallel. Like, this is Bethesda. This place is Bethesda. It is a house of love and mercy and kindness for all the sick and afflicted spiritually of DFW to walk through these doors and find healing, like real healing in their lives from sin and all the effects that they would be loved and welcomed here. And if ever there was a day where the spiritually sick are not welcome here, shut the doors and call it. But it will never be, because here we worship Jesus, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, who heals all. But it's also a Bethesda because it's a gathering place of invalids. And the invalids are us. May we never forget it, that we also spiritually have a weakness and a feebleness and lack strength. We can't do anything apart from him. This is John 15, five and following, where it's like, God, I got nothing. Like, if you don't come through, that we would always remember our state, this Bethesda, and here we are as invalids by the sheep gate. Sheep are helpless, needing of a shepherd. So good for us, and woe to us if we ever forget it. Verse five, one man, now John goes from macro, there's a multitude, and he just like zooms in, one man. And I hope that's an encouragement to you, that no matter where you are, what you've done, where you come from, how long your thing has been your thing, God sees you. He sees you. He loves you. He made you, informs you. He longs to be in relationship with you. And so he sees just as Jesus walking through a multitude is like, this one was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Y'all, Laura and I just walked through breast cancer for six months, and that six months felt like two lifetimes, as every day we're waiting on test results, and if the, if the surgery got the clear margins on all sides, and just like everything, and she's fine if you haven't journeyed with us through that, she's good, praise God. But, but six months was a long time to walk through cancer, 38 years, it says, for this one particular man. Verse six, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? There's two things there. One, John is revealing the deity of Christ. 
It's what theologians call the hypostatic union, meaning Jesus, fully God, Jesus, fully man. God in flesh, walking at the house of loving kindness. God, whose attribute is loving kindness, at the house of loving kindness, sees this man and comes to him. He would have been standing as this man's lying, paralyzed, and says, do you want to be healed? And there is the loaded question echoing through two millennium to you today. Do you want to be healed? Now, it seems like an odd question. Well, I mean, the guy's lying there, and he's in the place that he hopes to find healing and mercy. It's like, it, it seems a little insulting. Like, really? Is that a rhetorical question? Of course I want to be healed. Except for the case that I don't think all of us want to be healed. I know there was a time in my life where I didn't want to be. I, I went to a doctor, took blood tests, couldn't figure out some things, started talking to me a little bit about my history and my present. And he says, uh, if you, well, I lied to him. He said, how much are you drinking? I gave him about 50% of what I was actually drinking. He said, if you keep drinking like that, you're going to die. Like, oh, if you only knew. And I didn't change anything. I walked out of that doctor's appointment. Didn't change a single thing, because frankly, I didn't want to be healed. I didn't want anything different. And I think in the same way, we can grow really, really accustomed to who we are. It's just like, man, it's just who I am. My eighth grade economics teacher, which I'm like shocked in hindsight that we've even been teaching economics to eighth graders, uh, I didn't remember anything about economics, but I remembered this. He said, when you get older, people are gonna ask you two questions. They're gonna say, at a party, they're gonna say, hi, what's your name? Second question, what do you do? They're gonna size you up. It's gonna be a question of who are you and what do you do? Because your identity becomes so wrapped up in what you do. And he was saying like, that's not a good thing. Like be interesting, say, hey, so how do you know the person here at the party or how long have you lived in Dallas or hey, what's your favorite, you know, whatever it may be, but don't just ask someone what they do. And yet I think we find so much of ourselves and our own lives stuck in our identity of what we do. And maybe it's because of like family of origin, where you're like, you have no idea the chaotic home that I grew up in. And so yeah, I'm a little controlling. Because it was so horrific that now I need just things just so to eliminate some variables. Or maybe it's like, man, I just, I'm a, I'm a natural born leader, I'm an alpha male. And it's like, hey, great, but that doesn't give you license to be a jerk or whatever your thing may be, but we have these sin struggles that have just been there for so long that we grow accustomed to them, and we have grown content with our lack of growth, and it must not be. We've gotta be turning from those things. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, worldly sorrow leads to death. Like, if you're just sorry about your thing, your ditch, your struggle, because you got caught or it's kind of a nuisance, that leads to death. But godly sorrow, being like, God, I don't want this here, leads to repentance, to a turning from it. And so I heard someone say once, they were about 60 years old. I'll never forget it because I was like, that is so, so sad. This person said, hey, I'm 60, okay? Like I am who I am and I don't even wanna change. It was so exhausting to them to think about changing. They're like, it's just who I am. Like, quit, quit bringing this up. I'm 60. I'm not going to change. They were giving the phrase of what the world would say is you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And they're right. 
You can't teach an old dog new tricks. So you know what God does? He's like, nah, I don't make old dogs do new tricks. I make old dogs new. I will take an old dog and make them new. And I don't care what age they are, if they're 13 or 93, I can make that old dog new. It's what he lives to do. We had a regent leader. He was 78 years old when he trusted Christ. A wreck of a man. Such a dear leader, David. And uh, he changed, changed, and was made new at almost 80 years old. His whole family was mind blown as they began reconciling with him and his grandfather. Like full on family reconciliation, became an evangelist, still is, in his retirement community. God didn't teach that old dog new tricks. He made David new. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the loaded question where it says, do you want to get healed? Do you want to be healed? Because he didn't come to make us better. He came to make us new because all of us have sin in our lives. There is sin that is in us. We've been separated by our sin from God and could never be brought back together unless Jesus, God in flesh, came to this world, living a sinless life that we could never live, to die the death on the cross, taking upon himself the wrath of God that we deserved. Because every single individual will spend their immortality, the rest of eternity, either in hell forever, literal reality, or in heaven, reconciled and reunited with God. If they place their faith in Jesus, who died on the cross for their sins. It didn't stay there, but was raised from the dead as a picture of you who are dead in your sins being raised again. The dead are raised and the raised are changed in Jesus. It's the good news and it's why he says to this man with a double meaning, this loaded question, do you want to be healed? In my 10 years of serving at Regeneration, I've seen two kinds of people. One, they come in just like broken, and it's all in. Like they are there, and they are ready, humbled before God. God says, you humble yourself under his mighty right hand, he will exalt you in due time. They're there just like, what do I do? Just malleable and hungry and desperate for God, and they find healing. And when I say healing, I mean like they physically look like different people because the weight and anguish and death of sin has fallen off of them. You can physically see it outside what the inside has changed. And then there's others who are like, man, I'm here because my community group made me come or my spouse when I got caught looking at porn or because of my parole officer or whatever it is, my employer. And they're there because they have to be there, but their heart's not there. They're there physically, but spiritually not there. And there's no difference. Friends, do you want to get healed? Some of you, like right now, it's just open invitation. Tomorrow night at 6.30, back in this room, Regeneration meets. And they have uh, a couple of phrases there. One is you come, you will never be the same. And two, change is possible. Do you want to be healed? Verse seven, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going in, another steps down before me. Jesus asks him just a simple yes or no question. Do you want to be healed? And, and then he goes into this long explanation of like, well, 
It's, a, it's an insinuation of I do, but when the water is stirred, someone else gets in before me, and I don't have anybody help me. I'm by myself, and I'm on a mat, and I'm paralyzed, and so I can't. And she's like, that, that's not at all what I ask you. See, local legend in Jerusalem was that an angel would come down and stir the water, and the first one in would find healing. This man's like, I can never get there. Somebody always goes in before me. It doesn't work for me. Like, I'm here, and I'm alone, and and I think that we're more like him than we realize. He had this like long shot, what if, maybe, if then, conditional clause for 38 years. And I think in the same way, we have like set our hopes on willpower and resolutions and if then statements. And if I, if I just was dating or if I just had this or that, or if I got the house, got the job, got the raise, if only this person would do a little bit more like I wanted. We've got all of our uh, methods with our little chess game match of this will happen, here's the contingency, and then everything will be good. And Jesus today is like, no, that's not what I ask. I didn't ask you how, I ask you, do you want to be healed? You see, this man was so focused on going down When the water stirred, I got to get down. He wanted to go down. Everything in him, I got to get down. 38 years, I got to get down. God was about to say, get up. Isaiah 55 says, God's ways are higher than our ways. It may not make sense to you what God's asking you to do. But he's asking you, do you want to be healed and to take those steps of obedience? And I think sometimes we're so fixated on staring at the water instead of praying to the Father. And so what's your pool of Bethesda? What is it that you're so fixated on that if that thing or person was right in my life, all would be okay? And really, like I'm asking you, we're here for transformation, not information. And so you've got to ask that question like, when I'm laying and I can't sleep at night, or when I wake up, the first thing I'm thinking about, or, or if this one chip, this one domino would fall, everything would go right. What's your pool of Bethesda? What water are you staring at rather than praying to the Father? Because it says in James chapter one, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. Jesus in Matthew six says, do not be anxious about anything in life, what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. He says instead, because it's like, well that's, Those are kind of important things. He says, the pagans run after all these things and they don't have God. You have God. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all those things will be added to you. And here we are again, just staring at our pool. I wish those waters would be stirred. I wish the financial waters would be stirred. I wish the relational waters would be stirred. I wish my familiar waters would be stirred. I wish my occupational waters would be stirred. And we're staring at the water rather than start praying to the Father. Verse eight, Jesus said to him, get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Uh, Jesus tells him three things. He gives him three commands. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. The man gets up, takes up his bed, and walks. Now what's he doing with his bed? I don't think Jesus is like on the Jerusalem litter committee, and he's like, oh man, that's gonna be, you know, taking up space. Probably should get rid of that but he tells him to pick up his bed. And that bed, I bet, was pretty nasty. I bet it was disgusting with sweat and filth, maybe like 
bugs, all the tears that have been cried on that bed, all the anguish. I bet he didn't want anything to do with that bed, but he followed him in obedience. He was like, you command it, I do it. It was of no value to that man anymore. That man didn't need that bed anymore. It was probably like a straw mat. That mat was of no value to that man, but you will see very soon, it was of great value to some other people. That bed had great, great value. I think in the same way that he follows Jesus' three commands, we would do well to approach the Christian life and our sanctification in the same way. That as the Lord commands certain things throughout the scripture, we wouldn't go about it like a buffet a la carte and be like, well, I'll, I'll have a little fried rice. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass on the steamed veggies. I'm gonna go for some of that orange chicken and I'm not gonna have any fruit, but I'm going straight to the pudding afterwards. And we treat it like a buffet getting what we want rather than following the whole counsel of God. And as God says, no, I want you to speak the truth in love. Here's a serving of that. I want you to have sexual integrity. Here's a serving of that. I want you to have good financial stewardship. Here's a serving of that, that it's almost like mama's plate. And what she put on the plate, you're gonna eat for the good of your body. And that we would follow holistically the commands of God, knowing that Jesus wants a better 22, 2022 for you than you do. Like, he longs for you to have a good and glorifying, and that doesn't mean no suffering, a good and glorifying year, and that will be found in following Jesus. Follow all the commands of Scripture, just like this man did. And I think, too, like, we want uh, profound answers. It's, it's oftentimes, like, you know, these, these stories that we tell each other and all that. And so we want profound answers rather than simple obedience. And I've experienced this. Having 16 years of sobriety from alcoholism, people will come and be like, dude, you gotta tell me. Because me too. And so what did you do? I'm like, well, um, yeah, I'm glad you asked. I got a Bible. I just tore it apart, man. I just devoured it. Every page, every word. I was just so starved for God. I, I kneel, I get on my knees, and I pray every day and just surrender my day to God because I'm a really bad Lord of my life, but he's a really good Lord of my life. And I got, I got other believers around me because I needed their help uh, to keep me from the longs of the flesh. And then I joined the church because I, I needed to be shepherded. And they're like, yeah, and then what? I'm like, oh, that's, that's it. That's it, actually. No, no, like, Shekinah glory, no Red Sea parting, no manna from heaven. I just followed Jesus as best I could every single day. And uh, for some, it's like, well, I, I, I maybe don't want to get healed that bad. That sounds like a whole lot of just time and obedience. If there was only just something magical. Jesus changes people. He does. I am not who I read on my first page of the journal. He changes people. And so if you don't have change, you may not have Jesus. And that can sound heavy, unless it's the most loving thing in the world to say. That we would test ourselves to see if we're in Christ, as scripture says. And so some of us, it may be like, yeah, I, I don't have change. I need Jesus to be my savior. And for others, it's like, I've trusted him as my savior, but I'm still living this life of sin. And 1 Corinthians 5 comes to mind, where there was a believer who had trusted in Jesus that was still steeped in sexual sin. And Paul says, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his soul would be saved on the last day. So he's gonna die in his unrepentant sin, and he'll be in heaven when he dies, but no more. No more saying you're a Christian and living on Christ-like. He's calling us to repentance, but also, church, I think sometimes it's like, 
me watching my kids grow. I see them every single day. I don't like see them growing and then somebody else will come that hasn't been around us for a while and they're like, oh my goodness, your kids have grown so much. I'm like, they have? I don't see it. And so you may, while you're like, dude, I don't know if I'm changing. I don't know. I'm looking at Ann, married to Tim right now. I know there's change. They may not feel it. I've seen it. I have seen it with my eyes. There's change. And so ask those around you who may not, like, you may not experience that, but there is change happening because Jesus changes people. Verse 10. So the Jews, so now he's, he's been healed. He's got his mat. He's walking. So the man, the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. They're like, dude, total hall monitors of Jerusalem, just walking around like, why is that guy carrying his bed? You got six other days of the week to carry your bed. Not today, mister. But he answered them, well, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. <laughs> he literally gives them all the commands of Jesus straight back and testifies to the healing. They said to him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? They're like, all right, now we don't have a problem with you. Now we got a problem with this misfit who's telling people to walk with their bed. But you know the irony of it? He's like, the guy who healed me. I'm the paralyzed man at Bethesda for 38 years. You know who I am. I was healed. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Who told you to take your bed? He's like, I was healed. They're like, what about the bed? I was healed. But the bed. Because they cared so much about rules instead of a relationship. And friends, what I'm trying to tell you is that man was carrying his bed to reach the dead. That's why Jesus said, get your bed and go for a walk. Because I know there's people who don't believe the Messiah has come. And so I need you to carry your bed to reach the dead. And that was to be a sign unto them that they would be like, oh, oh, this is what Isaiah said. The lame walk. Oh my goodness. It's Jesus. He's here. But they cared much more about the rules instead of a redeemer. And they missed him. Well, some, we know some Pharisees came to life. It's why I tell people about my alcoholism. In case you're like, dude, I feel like you work your alcoholism into every single message. Can't you come up with some new tricks? <laughs> my alcoholism is not my identity. I haven't had a drink in 16 years. It's not who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus. I've been made new. But it is my testimony. And so I will testify to the day I die, that's what Jesus saved me from, and a myriad of other things. But that is that sick, nasty bed that I carry. And frankly, I wish I didn't have that nasty bed. I wish it wasn't in my past. I wish for my children it won't be in their future. But I carry that bed to reach the dead because I know that everybody's got something they're dealing with. And so that is what I can testify to. It's not my identity. And I tell them that. They are sure to know I'm new in Christ. But that is the bed that I carry in hopes to reach the dead. The question is, will you do the same? I don't tell them for me. I tell them for them. There is a Jesus who made me well, and he can make you well too. He can heal you. What he did for me, he will do for you. But I think sadly, by way of application, and hopefully we can just like erase this, we care more about our reputation than their salvation. Like, oh man, that would be super awkward to tell my coworker that I used to be a porn addict. Dude, that's kind of a nasty bed. Dude, are you really asking me to carry that bed? 
Do you want to reach the dead? God will reach them. He's going to save who he's going to save. But he's looking for people who are willing to say, this is the sin that Jesus has saved me from. Isn't that why we all needed Jesus in the first place? To save us from our sin? But somewhere along the way, we stopped talking about it. You testify. He's about saving souls. And thus, every healing is unto Christ's revealing, just as it was here. His signs are for the purpose of salvation of souls, which John tells us later from John 5, here in John 20. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these, meaning the signs, the man, the mat, all of it, but these, my drunkenness, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. More than any other time, people are gonna ask about New Year's resolutions right now. Your coworkers, your fellow students, your roommates, you make a resolution? And, and great if you did. Tell them, like, yeah, I'm gonna start exercising. I'm gonna get out of debt. I'm gonna whatever. I'm gonna delete dating apps. But tell them also, use that as a bridge to be like, but can I tell you something? Can I tell you the biggest change that has ever happened in my life? And it wasn't because of a resolution. It was Jesus. Have I ever told you my story? and their minds will be blown. And maybe there's not like insta-conversion right there, but you just put a gospel rock in their shoe. God will use your former sickness to heal the present sickness in others. Continue on, if my pages will unstick. Verse 13, now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Now afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you're well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Two things. One, this man gets healed. He didn't know who he was. He says, sir, I have no one to help me into the water. And then Jesus just goes because of the crowds. But then Jesus finds him back at the temple. When the man is healed, he's at the temple. People didn't go to the temple to get their steps in. They were at the temple to worship to testify, to praise, to glorify God, to offer a thank offering. There was, he, this man's in, the, he's like, I got healed. I don't know what just happened. I'm going to the temple because I'm worshiping Yahweh. And when you're healed from your sin, will you worship? Will you be found in the temple, so to say, worshiping, thanking God, giving your life as a thank offering? Because you got Jesus who heals all the lepers and only one returns. And Jesus is like, where are the other nine? Were not 10 healed? Did only this foreigner come to give thanks? As the Samaritan leper came back and thanked Jesus. He's like, where's the rest? And sometimes I think we can think, well, it was my good work that got me the raise, or my boss that gave it to me. Or it was my good looks, charm, and godly living that got me the girl. Or it was my effort that got me the scholarship and the whatever to get into school. Every gift is from the Lord. Will we be found in the temple worshiping God when the healing that we're longing for comes? Or from sin, the deliverance, just one day, one day of deliverance, will you be found thanking him? And now, you think about the man on the mat. Here he is in the temple after 38 years. Y'all, think about one day lying on a mat paralyzed. I get a, a migraine for two hours and I have a bad day. He was on a mat, not for a day, a week, a month, a year, 38 years. You think about the atrophied muscles, the bed sores. If he had a fly on his face, he couldn't wipe it away. 
If he needed to go to the bathroom, he had to yell to be carried. 38 years, and Jesus comes to him and rejoices in the physical healing. See, you're well. But then he says, sin no more, that something worse doesn't happen to you. And y'all, 38 years on a mat is horrific, horrific. And Jesus says, turn from your sin, or it will be much, much, much worse than the last 38 years. Because of the destructive nature of sin, Sin leads to death, emotional, mental, physical, social, all kinds of death just in flood and infect your body. And so Jesus is saying, repent. Thomas Brooks, this Puritan, said, take more pains to keep yourselves from sin than from suffering. Sometimes we're just all about the comfort and the gain or, the, or whatever to just make our life easier. We're about reducing suffering. And this great Puritan author is saying, See that you take more pains to turn from sin than suffering because he knew well what Jesus said. Sin no more that something worse doesn't happen from you. Verse 15, in conclusion, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. He goes and testifies again. He's like, oh, he just walked up to me in the temple. The guy that told me, it was Jesus testifying again. This is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, here he is, God in flesh. My father is working until now, and so I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God, God in flesh. And they missed him because of self-effort. We will attain to the laws of God. We know that we need to change, and we will change by our own self-effort. We don't need God, we don't want God. They knew they needed to be healed, they just thought they'd do it on their own. You remember that Inc. magazine that I opened with? Well, the, the, the story continues and they say, hey, all these resolutions generally are gonna fail. So you know what you need to do is form a habit. Form a habit, you form a habit, Whatever you want change is gonna change. And so, brothers and sisters, whatever is going on in your life, whatever sorrow, whatever ache, whatever pain, whatever sin, make your habit Jesus. It's as simple and profound as that. You make your habit Jesus and walk with him all day, every day, and he will make you new. He will give you the healing that you long for. Because the same Jesus that healed me from alcoholism is the same Jesus that healed that man who was lying on a bed for 38 years, was the same Jesus, Jehovah Rapha, who delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. It's the same Jesus who walked in Bethesda, the house of mercy and loving kindness, to heal on that day. And he's asking you today, do you wanna get healed? you want to be healed, follow me. Follow Jesus, and he will make you new. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this story, for the man who quit staring at the water and started praying to the Father, the man who carried his bed to reach the dead, 
for Jesus, Jehovah Rapha, God of healing, who comforts us in all of our afflictions. You're here today because you said at the giving of the Great Commission, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so you're here today, the same one who walked through the sheep gate to Bethesda to heal the man is here today. Do you want to get healed is the question that you're asking us today. Lord, may we make a habit of walking with you and find that healing. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen.